Amen. Well, as you may know, uh, today is the last Sunday of the liturgical year. Uh, it's a Christian feast day called Christ the King. And uh, actually, Christ the King is a relatively recent addition into the Christian calendar. It was added by the Catholic Church less than 100 years ago in 1927. And it was added in response to rising fascism in Europe. And the purpose of Christ the King was supposed to remind the faithful that no matter what we see happening across the political landscape, that Jesus is still king. Now, that to me sounds like a message we sorely need in 2020. Amen? I think it's fair to say that our country is facing a crisis of authority. So leading up to the presidential election, we saw a country divided. And now um, we have a president who's crying fraud, right? And refusing to begin the transference of power. It's gotten so bad uh, that this last week, even um, Fox News star Tucker, Tucker Carlson, uh, the intelligent uh, but massively conservative and usually pro-Trump commentator, has used his own platform to call out the president's lawyer for failing to produce sufficient evidence of fraud that is widespread enough to swing the election. So what's going on with our country net right now, it's an international embarrassment. But it would be morally delusional of us to assume that our crisis of authority resides just in one man or even in one political party. Because brothers and sisters, we all have authority issues. We live in a culture that in general is very individualistic and anti-authority. But according to our passage today from 1 Corinthians 15, the problem goes back further than 2020, right? Further than the Boston Tea Party, further than the advent of the nation state, all the way back to man's original rebellion in Eden. Will you please grab a Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15 verses 20 through 28 or pull it up on a Bible app. Now, the context of this passage is the second coming of Christ and the general resurrection when everyone will be raised and will face final judgment. But for Christ the King Sunday, I want to focus especially on this topic of authority. What does the Bible have to say about the merits and limits of authority? Just two brief points, and then we'll head into breakout groups for discussion. And the first point is that according to the Bible, authority can be a good thing. Things like leadership and kingship and even hierarchy are part of God's good purposes for the world. And furthermore, that there's nothing inherently degrading about being subject to authority. In fact, the scriptures say that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of Jesus as the king and everything else in the universe as his rightful subjects. Verse 27 says, For God has put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. In fact, just as we learn elsewhere that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess the sovereignty of Jesus, whether they want to or not, here we see that human history is in the process of having everything brought under the royal feet of Jesus. 
Now, this is not an image of Jesus meek and mild uh, that we're used to. We, we prefer this image of Jesus, you know, washing his disciples' feet and doing really humble things. And it's true that one of the reasons why we rejoice over the kingdom of God is because it's a kingdom of love, right? It's a kingdom of humility and service. But it's also a kingdom, right? And that means authority. So there's no contradiction here. In fact, Jesus uses his authority to advance his loving purposes. That's what authority is for. So after washing his disciples' feet, he says to them in John 13, verses 13 through 14, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So there's his authority. Then he goes on in verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, right? There's him using his authority for the advancement of love. This is how the kingdom of God is supposed to work, right? We just learned in our reading that the father has, in our gospel reading, that the father has given all authority to the son. But the cool thing is that the son's yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? Not every ruler's yoke is easy and burden is light, but Jesus's is and his authority is real and it's never degrading. So leadership and hierarchy are not inherently degrading. We're prone to think they are in our cultural context, but they're not. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 even speaks of a hierarchy that exists within the Trinity, right? Verse 24 speaks of a peaceful transference of power. Amen. That's what we want, a peaceful transference of power. But this one's at the end of history when Christ, quote, delivers the kingdom back to God the Father, and then verse 28, the son himself, the son himself will be subjected to him, subject, subjected to the father. So even Christ, the king, will live in submission to his father in heaven. Now, does that sound strange or foreign to any of us? Like if it wasn't in the Bible, you would think it's heresy? Well, it shouldn't sound that strange, right? Because Jesus himself openly declared that the father is greater than I. John 14, 28, he said that all the authority that he had was given to him by the Father in Matthew 11. His point is not that he's somehow like less God or like less divine than the Father. After all, he's the word made flesh and he affirms time and again, he's the great I am that was and always is. His point is that the members of the Trinity are equal in dignity, but distinct in role, right? Elsewhere, Paul compares it to the creational order of the marriage relationship, saying the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. That's 1 Corinthians 11.3. So this might sound like a foreign concept to us because our, in our culture, we think that equality depends upon sameness. But that's not true in the Bible because from all eternity, the Father has uh, been the Son's authority. And this is portrayed as a good and beautiful and glorious thing. And they have different roles and their difference is actually part of the glory too. Now, I wonder how many of you guys uh, saw the musical Hamilton uh, over this time of the pandemic, a uh, big hit on Disney plus. And uh, there's this great hilarious scene uh, where King George, goofy looking King George is shocked to learn that the first president of the United States, George Washington, is stepping down from his role of, in power in order to make space for a general election, right? And the, and the king, King George is shocked. He sings, 
They say that George Washington's yielding his power and stepping away. Is that true? I wasn't aware that that's something a person could do, right? King George only knew of kings and queens, right? He had no idea of this idea of elected officials. But likewise, here in 1 Corinthians 15, we see Jesus modeling for all times this willingness to transfer authority. Now, some of us may be thinking, well, that's fine with the whole Jesus and the Father thing. I can admit that authority can be a good thing as long as it relates to Jesus and God the Father, right? But the Bible goes much further because God has patterned creation after himself, and therefore even human authority can be a good thing. Did you hear in our reading from Psalm 8 that God has given human beings dominion over the earth, dominion over the animals, right? These things matter, but we also have dominion. We see dominion one human over another. According to scripture, God has set up civil authorities, right? He's, he's ordained a system of leadership in the church. We've already mentioned marriage. He, he also has given parents authority over their children. Even Jesus's parables about heaven feature uh, some humans ruling over much and some humans ruling over little, right? That's, that's, those are parables about heaven. Now, someone might say in response, well, uh, that appears to be true on the surface, but you could make the case for a system of Christian anarchy. Likewise, you could make the case that the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers somehow means that all believers are presbyters, even though that's not how the Bible applies it. You could make the case, if you overextended Galatians 3.28 in a way that the New Testament never does, that role distinctions in marriage should no longer apply. You could make the case, based on some modern parenting trend, that parents should basically refrain from disciplining their children at all. You could make the case, and honestly, I've grown tired of Christians using that phrase as an excuse for dishonesty and unfaithfulness. It's just pluralism. It's an attempt to reinvent the faith. Sure, you could make the case for all manner of things, but is it a good case? Is it a case that goes back further than a generation or two of Western postmodern interpretation? And if not, is it actually even Christian? Is it not more likely the anti-authority spirit of our age giving us exactly what our itching ears want to hear? In his book, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster warns that we are fooling ourselves if we think we're willing to submit to God, but we're never willing to submit to other people. And I think this is right on point. So if you don't like authority in your life, if you find yourself constantly bucking up against the systems and roles of human authority that God has set in place, then you can count on it that you will one day be bucking up against God himself who set these roles in place. So that's the first point, that authority can be a good thing in the Bible. It's part of God's created order. It's even a part of his own nature. But that point is in tension with another point because this affirmation leads to many uncomfortable questions. What happens when authority goes wrong? When governments are unjust, when priests are corrupt or when parents hurt their children. And we have to admit, asking such questions is not inherently rebellious. These issues matter deeply to the heart of God. Sometimes we ask them because we've been hurt, right? Sometimes we ask them to protect other people. Sometimes in scripture, the prophets ask them in defense of God's name. And this leads us to point number two, that according to the Bible, all abuse of authority 
will one day come under the judgment of King Jesus. So all corruption, all oppression, every injustice will be confronted by Jesus himself on the last day. In his excellent article on a New Testament theology of policing, uh, Esau Macaulay writes, yes, Paul does speak about the Christian's responsibility to the government. This is fine. We do not want anarchy. We gladly acknowledge the potential goods of government. Amen. Amen. But he goes on, nonetheless, we must always remember that Paul's words on submission to government come in the context of a Bible that shows God active in history to bring about his purposes. God lifts up and God tears down. Amen. We see that all through the pages of the Bible. And looking back to 1 Corinthians 15, this is what verse 24 means when it says that at his second coming, King Jesus will destroy, quote, every rule and every authority and power, meaning that Jesus will destroy demonic forces as well as systems of human oppression. Verse 25 continues, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's when we'll know that the reign of sinful Adam has been defeated once for all and the reign of Christ has been consummated. So in the meantime, God has revealed his will um, for all forms of human authority, right? The criteria by which he'll judge us on the last day. And just to name a few, so government leaders, right? They can be corrupt like Pharaoh or like most of the kings of Israel, right? But they're called to be, quote, servants for your good, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer, Romans 13, 4 through 5. Husbands are called to love their wives and never be harsh with them, Colossians 3, 3. James, 1, uh, James 3, 1 informs us that teachers in the church will actually be judged with greater strictness, and even fathers are warned not to provoke their children lest they become discouraged, Colossians 3.21. So all human authority, friends, is a stewardship. It's not something that we possess ourselves, something that we can do with it whatever we want. We are trustees of God. And therefore, with whatever authority we've been granted, with whatever little kingdom he's given us, we will answer to King Jesus on the last day as to whether we exercised our own little kingdom in congruence with his eternal kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But to say that God expects a right use of authority and a foundation of love, it's a vastly different message than the widespread anti-authoritarian and anti-foundationalism that pervades Western culture. These are two different things. So today we've learned in the scriptures that authority is established by God and can be a good thing. And number two, that all abuse of authority will one day be judged. Now, some of you may be in a place this morning where you're tempted to say, well, that's not good enough. I, I don't want justice on the last day. I want justice right now. And if that's you, then I have a pastoral word of encouragement and also a word of warning, all right? Um, and, and you'll have to decide with the Holy Spirit which one applies to you today, all right? The word of encouragement is that, um, that this emotion of discontent can be turned into faithful action and prayer, right? Because the psalmists and the prophets constantly ask, how long, O Lord? 
And Jesus encouraged us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would we do that unless we had a passion for this justice to come here and now? Amen? But the warning for those who say that's not good enough can be posed as a question. That question is this, are you sure you really believe that Jesus is reigning as king? Are you sure you really believe that he's coming back? Or as Jesus puts it, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? If not, I fear that you will eventually find that Christianity doesn't work for you because the return of Christ and the restoration of all things is a central tenant of the faith. And that's the good news of Christ the King Sunday, that Jesus is king, that he's reigning now, that all things are coming unto his feet, and then he's returning to restore all things to his Father, that God may be all in all. Amen.